Um, two days of class done. People are on campus. We're pressing through Omicron, right? Many of us are not pressing through. It's behind us. I have, I have Omicron behind me. Anybody else? Have? I was watching. As my phone was blowing up from all my, uh, all the messages telling me that all of my different friends and all of our staff members pretty much had Omicron last week. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to go to the same Houston website and see what the status is, the, the transmission rate they have. And I looked it up and it said, transmission rate, moderate. And I was like, yeah, this yeah. has not been updated yet. <laughs> Wait until students get back on campus next week. So yesterday, the first day of class, I looked at the transmission rate, high. High, yes. So um, I might get into this in a, in a, in a bit later, but a few of us went to salt, right? That's our, that's our winter conference. Um, and the, the transmission rate at salt was high, right? That's all I'm going to say. But I, I might get into it in a second. It did kind of give me a picture uh, of how something can spread. Yeah. And, but Omicron, Omicron's not the only thing that can spread, okay? Okay, so we're going to get into that. Let's go to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. The book of Acts, it's also called, it's generally just called Acts, but it's also the full name is the Acts of the Apostles. Okay, it is not the Acts, like, as in all the Acts. It is a book of some of the Acts of some of the Apostles. Brought to us by the same guy that wrote, wrote the book of Luke. So who wrote Acts? Luke! Alright! Yes, Luke wrote Luke, and therefore you can deduce. Luke wrote Acts. Okay, this book, real quick background, it is a description and a prescription. A description and a prescription. A description of the early church, but not just that, a prescription for us as the church today. Come on. Yeah. That's pretty potent. We'll get to that, okay? Um, it is also considered by some to be incomplete and unfinished. Some scholars are like, this is an incomplete book. And it's kind of funny. It's like, wow, you actually don't get it. It's meant to be incomplete. It is unfinished because it's still, in a sense, being lived out. The church started and is continuing, and we are a part of it today. Okay? All right, so I'm going to read to us. Before I do, let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. It is living and active, and we ask that it would speak to us tonight, that it would come off the page, that it would speak to our minds, our hearts, and it would get in our spirits. And we believe it, and it would change us and transform us, and we'd look more like you because we've been reading it and spending time with you. And I pray that it would give us a wonder in our hearts tonight. Somehow that you take this word and it would be a seed in our hearts that would give us wonder over what you could do on this campus. And I pray that, you would, that we would see that what we see in Acts is just the beginning. And you want to do so much more. And you want to do so much more even here today on our campus this semester. Help us to get this word. Amen. Okay. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus. Anybody have any, anybody named Theophilus? No. Theo. Theo. Yes, we do have a Theo. We have a Theo. But we're a from. I have a buddy named Theo. Two of them. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to 
Catch that? All that Jesus began, not all that he did, but all that he began to do and teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, that's referring to his death on the cross, and then he came back from that, right? After his suffering, he presented himself to them, his followers, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. We're going to spend some time looking at that tonight. And he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he goes, ah. No. (laughs) He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive the power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That word was to them, at that time, it's also to us tonight in this place that we will be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, this spring break and this summer. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. That is known as the ascension. Jesus went to be with the Father. Okay, um, I want to talk for a, for a moment about the Sunday morning, the Sunday morning after. Jesus' death. But before I do, i got to tell you guys a story from my high school career, my senior year. Um, for many of you guys, not too long ago, some, some of you guys last year, right? Most of you guys, like three years, two years, four years, a few more than that, right? For me, it's quite, a t- quite some time ago. Um, I went to a private Christian school. Some of you guys had that experience. Um, can be good. Well, I did actually have a good experience. Uh, and one of my favorite parts of high school was this thing called convention. Did anybody do like the UIL meets? Anybody familiar with that? A good representation. Okay, so translate that to like the Christian school setting, we had this thing called convention, kind of like a UIL meet. Um, what did I compete in? Well, I competed in, it's ping pong, but they may just call it table tennis. Okay. I was also on our basketball team, it was very uncompetitive. Mostly because I was the point guard. Um, I did soccer kick. I did this thing called academic trivia. Um, at one point, I did small ensemble. That was not good. I could not sing on key. Um, I also did a one-act play. A bunch of different things. But those things I did throughout my career. You come in your first year for convention is eighth grade, okay? And so you're not even a freshman yet, you just get to be there and you get to compete. You don't want to do well, you get clobbered by all the older students, right? But I'm telling you about my senior year, okay? So I've been working towards this, and I was hoping to place in most of these events, except for basketball, so that I could qualify for nationals, okay? So it comes around, it's time for me to play table tennis. I look at the field, and I know who most of these guys are, and it was just a weak field. Like, yeah, I was set up. Like, okay, this year I'm going to nationals at table tennis. Don't get any ideas, I'm not that good. The competition was not very good, okay? Well, I play this guy, 
and this terrible thing happened. Sometimes you come down to the level of the competition, right? Yes. I did, and I was like, okay, just, just get a hold of yourself, just something now, Mace, you'll get this, you'll get this. I never did. He beat me. I got eliminated. Wow. Okay, it's just one thing. I'm entered in, in a bunch of things, okay? The basketball tournament starts up, not expecting too much, but in my last game, I was over 12, okay? So that just didn't help. I was just disappointed, bummed. Um, soccer kick came around. I had already qualified the year before for nationals and done well in this. I was pretty amped about soccer kick. I blew it. I failed. I did not qualify. Academic trivia. I was not the smartest on my team, but I had a pretty solid team the year before we went into nationals. This year, we failed. No nationals. Okay. So, all I'm telling you is I ended up one night at convention just crying myself to sleep. Now I just think about it and I laugh. I have a lot of perspective on life, and I'm like, you know, that wasn't a big deal. But then it was everything to me. And it was what I had looked forward to, not just one year, but from eighth grade to that point, I looked forward to that senior year when I was going to take home all these awards and go to nationals, right? And so it wasn't just like one year, it was years of anticipation, and it all fell apart, and I was crushed. Okay, so some of you guys, you have something like that, you've been through some things, you've competed, you were on a team, you were played a sport, maybe you did a small ensemble, one act play, I don't know. Maybe you're not thinking that way, you're thinking about a relationship that you ran and you put a lot of hope in. And you thought maybe that would you'd be, this would be the person you'd marry, this is going to really go somewhere, and it all crashed down. And it failed. And you were let down. Anybody identify with these moments, these experiences? Yeah, yeah. You ever gone through something? Like, even, even for basketball, you go from relationships to basketball, I remember that last game. I'm, I'm walking off the court, and I'm like, this is the last time. I can't fix just what just happened. I'm done. I'm done. So whatever experience that you guys have been through, you've had that moment where you, you feel this finality, you know that it is over, over, and you're like, you go to sleep, and then you wake up the next day, and your mind goes to that right away. And you think, you hope for a moment it was a bad dream, Right? And then you want to flip it around. And then you realize, you look at the sun rising, you get up, you walk around, you realize it's reality. And you got to move on. Right? Okay. So all I'm doing is just trying to help us understand the disciples, after losing Jesus, we could take any of our experiences, and not to diminish the one of them, but I think you could multiply it many times over and say that it was much worse than what we've been through for the most part. What the disciples experienced when they walked on earth for three and a half years and Jesus became their best friend, their hero, their savior, the one they looked up to, and then he dies a shameful death on a cross. And it's all gone. And he told them, he prepped them over and over and got them all ready for this and told them, hey, this is how it's going to go down. They didn't get any of it. And they were in complete despair, right? That Sunday comes around and Jesus is about to bust out of the grave and they are crushed, right? They're completely crushed. As the disciples were in the throes of this, this, this feeling, com being completely crushed, Jesus comes back. He comes out of the grave. Mary goes to the grave, right? And she goes to see him. And, well, she can't see him. She's going to the grave to, like, to, you know, bring you know, stuff like you do to the grave, and she comes, and there is, he's not there, he's gone. You guys know the story, right? He's not there, and 
And she's freaking, she's like, where has he gone? What have they done? What they've stolen his body, okay? And she's just feeling even more crushed. And then Peter and the disciples, some of them come, and they're, they're lost too. What is going on? And so my question for us right now is, why, why did the disciples, why did they have to go through this? Why did they have to come to this place where they were so crushed? Two things I want to show us. They had to see the otherness of Christ and come to the end of themselves. This is actually one thing that kind of goes together. Why did the disciples have to come to this crushing moment? They had to, go, they had to see the otherness of Christ, that he was completely different from them, and they had to come to the end of themselves. Okay, let me explain this some. They spent three and a half years with Jesus on earth, and they found him to be on a different plane than them, okay? What I mean by this is their mentality often clashed with his mentality. His thoughts, his ways, his ideas. When they would make suggestions like, hey, Jesus, you should do this, let's do this, he would not only not take their suggestion, he would do the exact opposite and often follow it with a rebuke. Like, no, in fact, that is entirely what I, that's, that's, that's the wrong direction, and I'm going completely in the opposite direction. A prime example, you guys know this, is Peter, right? He pulls a sword at the end to defend Jesus. And Jesus tells him, put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Peter thinks, he's, he's panicking. He thinks everything is falling apart and it's actually going just as planned. And Jesus is cooperating with it. Peter at one point said to Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, will you really, Peter? He does. He says, will you really? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will, lay, you will deny me three times. You will not lay down your life for me. You will actually say that you never knew me. Okay? So they had to come to this crushing moment, this moment of devastation, to get to the end of themselves, and also to see that Jesus did things and operated in a way completely different from them. They had to see the otherness of Jesus and fail repeatedly to realize that they would need a new beginning. Also, they had to see past themselves. If you notice this, we're going to get to this more in a second. The disciples were always bringing everything back to themselves. When Jesus is marching towards Jerusalem and getting close to going to the cross, they actually get in an argument. You know what it's about? Who's the greatest among them? <laughs> He's trying to prep them and get them ready for what's about to go down, these, this, these dark days ahead, and he's conditioning them, getting them ready, and they are arguing over who's going to sit at the right hand of God, right? They had to learn to see past themselves. They had to begin to realize this. Ultimately, Jesus came not just for them and their families, not just for Israel, but for all nations all over the world. Okay, so this moment comes, I was starting to get to it, and then I backed off, I get ahead of myself. Um, when, she, when Mary goes to the grave, she meets Jesus after the resurrection. And she thinks it's the gardener, if you know the story. And she approaches him to ask him, where have, you, where have they placed Jesus? And then he turns around, and she sees it's her Lord, it's her master, it's Jesus. And she's like, I mean, I can't even imagine what, like, what's happening like inside <laughs> I mean, I don't know how she doesn't, I mean, it is, it is from the lowest low to the highest high. 
I mean, I can't grab the words and give them to you. I mean, it's just the most amazing moment in the world where she's like, what? Oh, and her mind is probably about to explode. Her heart's about to explode. She's like, oh, you did say something about this. What? But she goes, she goes to hug him, and what does Jesus say to her? He says, don't hold on to me. Do not hold on to me. I probably would have tackled him before he could even say that. I mean, I just would have wrapped him up and hugged him. And I would have, like, wanted to hug him in such a way that I would never let go of him. Like, hey, you left us once. Don't ever do that to us again. You're the best thing that's ever happened to us. We need you. You're our king. You're our savior. Stay here with us. He says this to Mary, don't hold on to me, because he knows that when his spirit comes, he will be closer to Mary than ever, and he won't be confined to Mary. Did you catch that? In order for his spirit to come, he's, he's saying, don't hold on to me. I'm only here for 40 days. I'm only here for a few days to show you guys some things. Then I'm going to go be with the Father so that my spirit can come and be with you, and you guys will actually be closer to me and know me better than you've ever known me. And they're going, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, and not only that, I won't be a ge geographically confined. I won't be confined just to you. I can be with you, and I can be with somebody else in Samaria. I can be with you and, and, and somebody else on the other side of the world, okay? After this encounter with Mary, Jesus spends, as I said, 40 days getting his followers ready for him to do what? Leave again. Now, what is he doing in these 40 days? What is Jesus doing? He comes back. He's still got the nails, the, nail, the scars from the nails in his hands and from his side. And, and Thomas, as you know, gets to see him and like, he doesn't even believe he's back. He's, he hears that Jesus is resurrected. He's like, no, I do not believe it until I get to see him and put my hands in his side, right? He gets to do that. He gets to see that. But beyond that, beyond helping doubting Thomas, what is he doing in these 40 days? He's letting them know that they had only seen the beginning of what Jesus was going to do and teach. He's letting them know that they had only seen in those three and a half years the beginning of what Jesus was going to do and teach. The rest of what he wanted to do and teach would be done through them and you guys and us. Did you get that? Did you catch that? What was he doing in those 40 days? Okay, so all they can think of when they see him again is like, Oh, you're back? Hey, let's, 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 let's get back to it. And he's like, hey, that was just to show you the beginning, to show you a glimpse of what's possible. But I want to take that and explode it and spread it all around the world. What you and I experienced, I want it to go deeper. I want it to go to a new level. And that's going to come through me going to be with the Father and sending my spirit. Okay. So during the 40 days, actually the first day of the 40 days, we had this encounter called the road to Emmaus. Anybody heard of that? Anybody remember that? Familiar with that? Okay. This goes down like this. On the first of the 40 days, Jesus appears, appears to Mary, and then later he leaves um, where the grave is, and, and, and he walks on the road to Emmaus. And this is so cool. This is so funny. I think from this... I mean, there's a great purpose in this, but you've got to see some sense of humor, and I think Jesus had great fun in doing this, okay? Here's what happened. He goes on the road to Emmaus, and he approaches two guys that he knows, two of his close followers, but he goes incognito. 
okay? He's with them. They're with him. They cannot recognize him for who he is. And he also plays dumb about what has happened in Jerusalem that weekend. Okay? He hears them talking, and he's like, hey, guys, what's, what's going on? What are, you talk, what are you talking about? And they look, to, look at him with downcast faces and kind of like, really, dude? Have you been in this place, and you don't know what just happened here? Do you not know about Jesus of Nazareth? And he's like, oh, this is getting good. <laughs> They're talking to him in that way. They cannot at that point, it's like there's a veil. They cannot, they see him and they cannot tell who he is. And so he has them tell him who is Jesus about Jesus, right? They told him about Jesus and explained to him what had recently happened with much dismay. After listening, he expl- after listening to them, he's like, well, hey, guys. And he explained that all of this was according to the plan laid out in Scripture. Here's the account, Luke 24, verse 26. He says to them, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. Like he took the Old Testament and just like unfolded it and showed how he was the fulfillment of it but they don't know it's him. All they know is that later when he does reveal himself to them, he goes with them later, and actually at that moment, he actually acts like, well, see you guys, and, and they, they, like, they're going to come into a fork in the road, and they're going to go different directions, and they're like, well, no, come with us, have a meal, and he's like, okay. So he goes and he has a meal with them, and when he has the meal with them, he breaks the bread, like the last time he was with them, broke the bread, like, and they see who he is. And then they're like, oh, oh, weren't our hearts on fire when he was unfolding the scripture to us? Oh, and then, the, I mean, I can't even imagine how that felt in that moment. Okay, what is happening here? Jesus is wetting their appetite. He is getting them ready. He is stirring them up, and he's showing them, hey, all that we did in those past three and a half years, it's just the beginning. The Gospels, Luke, that was all about what Jesus began to do. The book of Acts, it is all about what Jesus is continuing to do. Okay? What's really fun to note, too, is that the way Jesus, this is like a side note, I just have to throw it in, okay? They say one way a speaker should not bore his audience is don't bore himself. Okay? And so this is just a fun note. I got to share it, okay? So when Jesus unfolded the scriptures like he did with those two, on the road to Emmaus, it is very similar to how Peter preached the very first sermon in the era of the church after he was filled with the Spirit. What Peter did in the first message is he goes back through Scripture and he starts connecting all the dots for his listeners. He's like, hey, this and the Old Testament and this and this, Jesus is the fulfillment of this. Why? Peter knew this before, but he didn't see it because he's now been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. This is going to happen to us this semester. Things we've never seen before, never understood before, are going to come to life to us through the Holy Spirit as we read Acts together this semester. Okay? Okay, so y'all help me out a little bit. Um, When we say all that Jesus began to do, what what are some of the things Jesus did when he was on earth? There's a lot of things you can't go wrong. Just throw them out there. Okay, those are all things I wrote down. He raised the dead, he fed the 5,000, healed the lame, the blind, the sick, 
right? So many different things that he did, right? And, and they're like, nobody has ever lived such a life, right? An entire life, and he did all that in three and a half years, right? And what does he say about it? It was just the beginning. It was just the beginning. Okay, in verse 6 of our passage that we read to start, what does it say? I'll go back to it. Verse 6, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, are you going to wrench it out of the hands of the Romans and are you going to make us the top dogs? That's why I kind of went like, ah. Because Jesus is like, no, that's not what this is about. It is so much greater than that. Are you going to restore the kingdom now? I believe he said something like this. No, little brothers. <laughs> what we had, yes, it was good, but it is going next level. And it's too good to not be shared. It's for all people, for all time. Okay, so what does next level look like? How is it going next level? Well, how is it going next level? I think you guys know this, but let me put it to you this way. I, I kind of was just thinking about this. It's almost like a horror film. That's a unique perspective, maybe. It's almost like a horror film for Satan and his crew. They killed Jesus, and he comes back to life and imparts himself, making a bunch of little Christs, Christians. You see, it is kind of like a horror film. <laughs> They're like, they, they had him crucified, the most shameful death you could die, and they had done away with him. They had victory. And he came back to life, and came back in such a way that he could impart himself and multiply himself. And he could be everywhere at once. I know it's a unique perspective. <laughs> Before Jesus went to be with the Father, we could not catch what he had. Think Omicron. Omicron. It is easy to catch what your neighbor has right now, right? When, when Jesus came the first time, they had Jesus, his physical presence. They had proximity. They lived with him. They traveled with him. But they could not catch what he had. They could not catch what he had. He said, follow me. They followed him. They were in his physical presence. They did physically follow him. They were with him. He taught them. He showed them. He helped them understand things. But he did show them that he was altogether different from them, beyond them, on another plane, and that they could not match him. Because when he did things and he said, come with me, they faltered. When they got to the Garden of Gethsemane, what happened? Do you know? Did they press in and pray with him? No. No, not even close. Mm. He said, let's, let's go and let's pray. You need to get ready for this. And they're like, yeah, 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 okay. I'm going to do this. And they fall asleep. So he comes back to him again. He's like, hey, guys, he knows what's right around the corner. He's like, you need to pray and not grow weary and not faint. You need to pray. They fall asleep again. They could not catch what he had. They could follow him, 
Peter said, no, I can, I can do what you do. I will, I will lay down my life for you, right? No, he denies him three times. Before Jesus went to be with the Father, we could not catch what he had. But once he ascended and sent the promised Holy Spirit, we can. Not only can we catch his spirit, we can be filled to overflowing that others might catch his spirit. Man, that really does make me think about Omicron. At Salt, we were watching this. So what happened, if you guys didn't go to Salt, and, and for those of you that did, this is news to some of you. I, I told our leadership this. Salt had about 2,000 people at it. Okay, um, the first night, the director of, of SALT, the SALT conference, Eric Truel, got up there, and you just got to go through the motions, you got to do like cover business and stuff, and he just said this, like, hey, if you've come here and you have symptoms, we're pressing on, we're not canceling this conference, we're going to move on, we're going to, but if you've got symptoms, you know, go ahead and check out of the hotel and don't stay. And 200 people left. Yeah, I found out that from registration, which is kind of like, Wow, okay. <clears throat> Some of us were completely innocent. We didn't know. We didn't have symptoms until we got there the first night. You're like, I feel a little bit funny. I'm okay. No temperature. Yeah, it turns out you have Omicron. Okay. But if 200 people show up and hang around for a night or so, have some meals together, they got it started, right? Okay. <laughs> so, I don't know. I think just by, by the odds, by percentage, like more than... Like three-fourths of our staff got COVID, Omicron. So I think like over a 1,000 people got Omicron from Saul. So why am I talking about this? Because it really is like what happened on the day of Pentecost. All these people came from all over the region. They were gathered together. The Spirit was poured out. They spoke in different languages so all the people could understand and hear the glories of God. And then they scattered again and went back to their places. So in this weird way, I'm bringing some, some funny pictures to you guys tonight. I was like, this Omicron thing. We are here together at Salt meeting with Jesus to be, have his spirit poured out on us, and then we're going back to our different places. We came from South Central United States, campuses all over, and then we came back to our campuses. We're back here at Sam Houston, and we're ready to share and spread not just Omicron, right, <laughs> but the spirit of Jesus. Okay. Thanks for bearing with my weird analogies. Okay. After Jesus sent his spirit, the disciples' experience went from objective to subjective. After Jesus sent his spirit, the disciples' experience, and we're going to get into this. Sam's going to unfold this more next week. Okay? Jesus went to be with the Father. That's the ascension. And when he did that, that's like the great detonator of the Christian faith. It's like, boom, he goes to be with the Father, and the Holy Spirit is sent. Okay? Okay? And the disciples' experience, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, went from an objective experience to a subjective one. What do I mean by that? I mean this, learn of me became learn me, okay? In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus said this. He said, learn of me. That's like, learn about me. But in the, Testament, in the New Testament, um, later in, in the, um, Paul's epistles, when he talks about learning Christ, he doesn't say learn of Jesus. He just says, learn Christ. And there's a reason. It's not like he just dropped the of randomly. It's a reason because we've gone from one era and to another. We went from objective to subjective. Now they could catch what Jesus had. 
It wasn't that they were outside of him learning about him. He could actually come on board by way of the Holy Spirit. Now we don't just learn of Jesus or about Jesus from a distance and then try to imitate him. This is not, the Christian faith is not us trying to imitate him. The disciples tried that and failed. Some of us, many of us, we all try that and you will fail. You cannot imitate Jesus. He must take up residence in your heart for you to imitate Jesus. You cannot imitate Jesus. Okay? Um, I have a good friend, Jordan Goody. Um, I'm a white man. Jordan's a black man. Um, we used to do box jumps together. It was such a terrible experience to do box jumps. Like, so we'd do the kind of box, box jumps where um, he would jump and then I would jump and we'd alternate back and forth, okay? And he's just going like with such ease, so much higher and so much faster. It's like he hits the ground and bounces back up. And I'm like, you know, and then jump back up, okay? But we were doing this together because Jordan had told me, Jason, if you train as I do, you can dunk. He didn't just jump better than me. He's like 6'1", I'm 5'11". He's got two inches on me and a better reach, which that matters, okay? He said, you can jump like, like me if you train like me. But I'm still imitating him. I'm still following him, okay? You get this? And so he's essentially saying, let me coach you. He was saying, Jason, learn of me, right? <laughs> um, now, it's true. If I train, there is such a thing called plyometrics for any of you athletes, right? That I can, and there's such a, something called fast twitch muscles. Anybody familiar with those? If you train those with plyometric, you can actually improve your vertical. Okay? You can, key thing, improve your vertical. You can add to whatever it was. Okay? You can add six inches to it maybe. Maybe even more, but only what it was. Okay? Um, so coaches can do this. Coaches can cultivate, they can maximize, they can improve what you have. And they might, if, a, if they're a good coach, they might even see potential that you don't have. I think that's what Jordan was trying to do. Like, I see potential in you, Jason. <laughs> Athletically, a good coach, they can bring all hands on deck. Okay? So however many fast twitch muscles you have, the problem is some have more than others. You follow that? But some can, they can take those and they can bring them all on deck and you can improve. But it doesn't make you an entirely new person. So, no surprise, I never dunked. Okay? I improved. That's all I can say. So, a good coach and my good friend, Jordan Goody, um, he, can't, he, cannot, he could not do for me what he could do. He could tell me about it. He could train me in it, but he could not actually do it for me. Or, or with me. He couldn't hold my hand and not jump higher, right? I would just weight him down. But with Jesus, this is actually how it works. He can come on board with you. He can do it with you. And you could do greater things. You could do what you never could do. You could do what is completely and entirely beyond your own capability and possibility when you put your faith in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. It brings home what I'm trying to say. He made him, that is God, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I'll read that one more time. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you catch that? 
That's Jesus coming on board. That's Jesus taking up residence in your life. We are now the temple. We can become new people that can be filled to overflowing with his spirit. We can catch what he had and, like Omicron, we can pass it on to other people. Okay? We're going to see this. I mean, this is so hard to start this series and not go off into these other stories that I have going on in my mind as I'm talking. Okay? Man, Sam's going to kind of wrap this up for us and like bring some more stories to you guys next week. We can catch what he had. We can pass it on to others. I'm so tempted to tell a story there. I'm going to stop there and let tonight be what it is. Okay? A setup. All right? Okay. Acts. This is wrapping it up. Acts is the book of the continued doing and teaching of the living Christ by the Holy Spirit through his body, which is the church. I already said that in my words. These are G. Campbell Morgan's words. I'm going to read it one more time. Acts is the book of the continued doing and teaching of the living Christ by the Holy Spirit through his body, which is the church, which is us, Sam Houston State, Kyle, we are part of the church. Okay, as we read Acts this semester, did you hear what I said? As you read Acts this semester. I can grab this stinking mic and preach every week. If you guys don't read Acts, this will go nowhere. Okay? You have to read the Bible on your own and pray to God and say, living God, this, this book is a manual for life. Would you speak to me through it? When I have a hard time understanding, would you come alive in it and speak to me? He will do that if you'll ask him. Let's do that this semester. Okay? Okay, so as you read Acts this semester, you might actually find, like I said at the start, you read to Acts 28, and you might think, wait, what happened here? It does end abruptly, and it ends in such a way that you might actually think it's an incomplete or unfinished book, but that is on purpose. That's purposeful. Why? Because it's still unfolding. In a sense, Acts 29 is happening. There's only 28 chapters. But it's like Acts 29 is being written and you and I are a part of it. This semester, right here, right now, this location and this time, we are still the church. Acts is a description of the early church and also a prescription for us today in our time. The church. And all that Jesus began to do as shown in Luke and continued in Acts is being continued through us. And there are works to be done, miraculous works to be done, things that we could not even begin to think of or imagine that Jesus wants to do through his Holy Spirit through you this semester. And I am saying you, every one of you, has an ability to meet with God in a way that nobody else in this room can. And if you will meet with him and be filled with his Spirit, you can bring a new dimension and a new understanding of God to this campus that can unlock hearts on this campus, okay? All right, there we go. We're pretty much out the gate. This is the start of the Acts series. How do we fulfill our part? How do we do what I just was kind of challenging us to do? It's just like, excuse me, it's just like the disciples. How do we fulfill our part? We must do this. We must see the otherness of Jesus and come to the end of ourselves, you will never get full of the Holy Spirit if you're still full of yourself. 
How do we fulfill our part? We must see the otherness of Jesus and realize that we cannot hang with him, we cannot imitate with, we cannot imitate him. We must lay down our lives and take up his life to run with him. Okay? Then we must realize he's not just for us. Okay? So we, everybody, if you read scripture, you can see that the Israelites did this in the Old Testament. The disciples did this in the New Testament. Everybody in the church has done this. Every people group is subject to this. We always make the blessings of God about us if we are not careful. That is another way to quench the moving of the Holy Spirit. He will slip out the back door. He will not show up anymore if, if you are a dead end. Okay? So again, what do we have to do? We have to see the otherness of Jesus and come to the end of ourselves. And then we must realize that this is way too good to stop with us. It must always be shared. It is for the whole world. Okay? So that's it. I want to finish with this story. And then the way we're going to close tonight, we're actually not going to do another worship set. Or we're going to actually go out from here into the foyer and see what mission trips we can go on this spring and this summer. Okay? I want to tell you this story. So this story, hey, wait, wait, don't leave you. Oh, that's just the crew. Okay, y'all are getting ready. Okay. Thank you, guys. Go get ready. Those are just our mission trip leaders going to get their tables set up. Okay, so what did I say? We must see the otherness of Jesus and come to the end of ourselves. We must realize it's not just about us. Okay, so I took my first mission trip many years ago. It was to Mexico City. Uh, to this day, it is one of the greatest experiences of my life. That week is forever, it forever marked me, okay? It did those two things. It, did those, it brought me to the end of myself and helped me realize that this was not just about me, okay? How was that? Well, first off, it was just like this. And this will be some of you guys. You're going to hear this and you're like, okay, shoot, that's me. It was a night like this opportunities were presented to go on mission trips. It was an LSC theater, and there was this opportunity to go to Mexico, to go on a mission trip, and I thought, that's cool, but not for me. And I did not think another thought about it. Why? Because I just, I, honestly, I didn't have a heart for Mexico. I had some wonderful Mexican friends, but as far as doing missions in Mexico, I thought, somebody's called to that, and it's not me. And it ended there. Then my campus pastor, Eli Gotro, came to me and gave me an application, like stuck in my hand to say, you should fill this out and go to Mexico. I was like, I don't really think I'm called to do that. He's like, just fill out the application. Can you do that? I was like, sure. And I was like, hey, I don't know if I can raise the money. And he's like, just send the letter and, and do what I tell you. If the money comes in, you'll go. I was like, okay, I'll go. Okay, I had to make this step. And then when I went, what I saw was that I had something to offer, and when I shared it, I actually saw people benefit. I shared Jesus with people, and it actually made a difference. I shared my story, and it actually changed their lives in a short period of time. And I was like, whoa! And it opened my eyes and showed me, hey, I'm not the integration point. This really is for other people. I need to share this. And then I developed a deep love for actually Mexico City and went back seven years in a row. What do you know? Okay, the other part of this 
I had to be brought to the end of myself. Yeah, so we, we did this trip, and the days were like 15-hour long days. Most of our trips aren't like that now, Cooper. <laughs> I don't know how we did that. Oh, man. And the food we ate was like so sketchy. Like, oh, man. Everybody got Montezuma's Revenge. Throwing up, diarrhea, you name it. It was a mess, okay? So I was sick pretty much the whole week, and then we would be out all day, and we were always in this very stretching settings. We would come into auditoriums like this, and they, they would fill them up, and then be like, all right, and you're going to share your testimony. You're like, what? And, and it'd give you like sh super short notice, and you would be on. So um, we had like a full week of things like this, and like with my personality and just my giftings and weaknesses, I was very, very stretched, okay? It came to a head at one point when we were going to do this cultural exchange, which people come into an auditorium, um, they tell us about student life uh, in Mexico City, and then we come up and we tell them about student life in Texas. And mostly they'd be like, they'd ask like, you know, where do you party, and are the girls pretty, and all. it was like just, that's the kind of questions they would ask, and we'd have to try and take it somewhere afterwards in conversation, okay? So, but the way you'd gather people is all different ways, and at one point, at one point, they're like, hey, Jason, we need to do the cultural exchange, and so run over to the cafeteria and, and gather a crowd. I'm like, how do I do that? Is there like a PA system? Is there a manager there? I talk, and, like, oh. and they're like, no, no, you just run in there and jump up on the table and scream until you get everybody's attention. And then once you get all their attention, you tell them what's going on. Tell them who you are, and you're all from Texas, and you're going to do a cultural exchange. And I was just like dying inside. Some of you understand that, right? I'm like, I'm going to do what? And they're like, yeah, go. So I went and I did it. Oh, my gosh. It worked. They came. I was so stretched. And it came down like to the last night of the, of the week we were there. And I was having an amazing time. I was having a lot of fun. But I was also like completely at the end of myself. And I told the Lord, hey, this, this has been great. But if you want to take this any further, I'm done. And I was not being emotional or exaggerating, like I was at the end of myself, and I actually came to this beautiful place, and I said, "I love you, and I, like I want to honor you, but I don't, I don't know if I can. I, I need you to help me." And in that moment, he actually baptized me with his Holy Spirit, and I spoke in other tongues, just like you'll see next week in Acts, and I felt this closeness to Jesus I'd never felt in my life. Like it was this intimacy with Jesus that I did not know existed. It was like another plane. What do you know? And then the next day we go out, me and some friends, and the first people we meet, we lead them to Jesus. Me and my buddy, my roommate, we led six people to Jesus like bingo like that. It doesn't always work out that way, okay? Understand? But there was something that we had just met with the Holy Spirit, and it's contagious. He is contagious. And when you meet with him, your face will shine, you will glow, and you will have something to say, okay? And so what are we doing? We're going to take up time now to go out from here and to see what mission trips there are and sign up. Why? Because they're going to give us a good chance to bring us to the end of ourselves, to see the otherness of Jesus, and also realize, hey, this is about so much more than just us. Okay? And I'm not saying you guys don't get that already, but you know what? The truth is, I still have a lot of room to grow here. I'm still learning this is not about me. I'm still being brought to them myself and saying again and again, Jesus, come, you take over. 
I lay down my life, I take up yours. Okay? Lord, would you help us this semester? We are at the outset of it. We're at the beginning of it. And I, I just lead out for us in prayer, and, and I ask you guys just to agree with me. Lord, we, we consecrate this semester to you. We give it to you. And Lord, I pray that you would this semester make us contagious. That you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit. I understand that before that to happen for some of us and for, for some of us to walk deeper in that, we need to freshly see how you're on a different plane than us. You're so beyond us and yet you call us to be like you. Would you bring us to the end of ourselves that we might come to the beginning of you and the fullness of you, Jesus? And Lord, would you remind us again and again, you're the integration point. This is all about you. This is not about us. Lord, thank you for what you've begun tonight. Would you unfold acts to us this semester? Would you draw us to your word? Would you draw each of us, not just me as I prepare messages or Sam or Trevor or any of us speaking, but I pray that you would draw each of us to read your word and see what you have for us in Acts this spring semester. We thank you, Lord. Amen.